So if you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 3, which is right at the start of your Bible, first book in the Bible, Genesis. We, um, we started looking at this last week, um, this chapter, and uh, really these early chapters of Genesis. And, and we pointed out that um, many people ask questions about Genesis, uh, the early chapters of Genesis, and, and maybe they're the wrong questions. Maybe we ask questions like, did God really create the world in six days? And uh, was there really just one man and one woman at the start? And were they really called Adam and Eve? And uh, Questions like that. But those aren't the sort of questions that, um, that we're meant to ask about, this, about this, these chapters. Really, these chapters are telling us how God created the world and the sort of order that God wanted in the world, what, what God uh, wanted the world to be like, and how sin has affected that and, uh, and affected what God wanted. Now, we, we also know, obviously, that there is hope because uh, through Jesus, God is restoring the created order. So God is working, has worked already in sending Jesus, and uh, things are continuing uh, in the sort of time span of, uh, of God's dealings with us as, uh, as, as people in the world. God's restoring the created order, what he intended originally. And we've already heard words this morning encouraging us um, that uh, Jesus has, has dealt with the things that bound us. Um, so, we're going to read Genesis chapter 3. Hopefully you've all found it by now. Don't get too upset about it. Um, <laughs> Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it or you will die. You'll not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all of the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He mustn't be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, last week... Uh, when we looked at this same passage, we, uh, we looked at the whole issue and topic of death and how death came into the world through sin, but how through Jesus our souls uh, can live forever with him. And then on the day of Jesus' return and final judgment, our bodies will be raised and we'll be reunited with them and, uh, and be with Jesus uh, forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And um, that was one whole topic that we looked at. There are many different topics and things that we can look at in this, in this chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and, and just see what God has got to say about these different issues, um, uh, what he intended things to be like and what things ended up being like because of what we've come to call the fall, because of sin coming into the world. And now, this week, we're going to look at how relationships between men and women have been affected by sin. Now, this is a huge topic um, it'll probably take, well, it will take more than one week to look at. Um, but I also am aware that this is a very emotive issue with people, relationships between men and women, roles uh, and responsibilities of, of men and women. So in embarking on this this morning, I'm, I'm fully expecting um, you know, certain people not to give me Christmas cards. And um, <laughs> I'm not some sort of masochist. I've chosen to preach on this. Uh, just because, not because it's, it's, you know, I want that, or because, or because I want to push any of my own opinions or viewpoints on something here. What, what we're looking to do here is to come to a godly understanding of this vital issue. Because male and female relationships together um, is such a vital issue in, in society today and in, in life. And uh, we can't ignore that. Um, we will all come with different prejudices. We will all come with different viewpoints. But we're wanting to seek to ha- hear from God on this and see what God thinks about it. So I want to pray um, that we will be able to hear from God this morning and that nothing that I say will come from my own prejudices. And as we receive uh, what God has got to say this morning, we won't be filtered through our own prejudices as well. So let's pray. Father God, As we come to your word this morning, Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, each time we come to your word, we pray that you will reveal uh, your truth to our lives. Lord, we don't just want to hear something. We don't just want to um, think, oh, that's interesting. God, we know that your word is given to us to shape us and to change our lives. And I pray that this morning as we speak, you will be working by your Holy Spirit in hearts and minds of all of us here. Father God, will, will you speak this morning? We want to come away uh, with a clear understanding of what you think about this vital issue. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now, in some, in some extent, this is going to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour, but the first thing to notice um, in, in the whole issue of, of men and women and how God created them is that God created men and women to be equals, God created men and women to be equals. We see this uh, right back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse uh, 26 and 27. 
um, which is when God created male and female. So it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. All right, that's, that's the account of God creating uh, men and women. And it's, it, we see that men and women are made in the image of God. That sets them apart. That sets all of us apart from any other animals, any other things, creatures that God created. No one else, nothing else was made in the image of God. God created all beings, but nothing else was created in the image of God. Males and females, uh, described together as man, but that's a a term that's used to express both male and female. Um, I guess humankind, you could express it as. Um, Male and females, man, was created in the image of God. We're set apart from the rest of the creation. And so there's an equality that comes there because there's an equality within God. Um, You see the plural there, don't you? It says, um, God's saying, let us make man in our own image. Now, he's not using the kind of royal we that the the queen would use. Oh, we are not amused and all that. But God's talking because God is three in one. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three involved in the creative act. All three involved in creation. And so he says, let us make man in our own image. And he makes man male and female. So you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And you've got male and female made in the image of God. There, There's two in, but in one. They're equal. They're created together in just the same way uh, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal to each other. Um, you know, we... We often, we often like to rank things, don't we? We, look, we like to um, decide something is more important than something else, maybe because of their role that they've got or something like that. Um, I don't know how many of you know or have, have played the game Top Trumps. Have you played Top Trumps? It's a, it's a very popular game. Uh, I used to love it as a kid, still play it a bit today. Um, and um, Top Trumps, you, you've got a card each. Uh, or a few cards, and you, you read off information about your card, and then you decide which one is the best card. And so you say, oh, this is a good card, yeah. This, this one beats the other one on, on various things. So, um, and and you, you read the information off, and uh, you can capture the other person's card if yours is the top trump. Um, well, you can't play top trumps with the Trinity. You, <laughs> that, could be, that could be a good quote, couldn't it? Maybe that could be the title of this message that goes on the web. You can't, no, don't write it down, James. You can't play top trumps with the Trinity. <laughs> because the Trinity is equal. There's no, you can't sort of uh, play off the Father against the Son or the Son against the Spirit and make value judgments. Who is the most loving? Is the Father more loving than the Son? Is the Spirit more um, holy than, than the Father? No. The Father, the Son, and the the Spirit, they're created equally. They exist together. They're they're one in God. They're one together as God. And uh, you can't start ranking them about. And and the same with male and female. We're created in God's image. 
And so you, you can't say all oh, males are better than females. You don't, you don't, you don't play top trumps with, with men and women and say, okay, well, a man's hairy chest will beat a woman's smooth chest. Uh, or, or something like that, you know, hair on a... Maybe I shouldn't go there. That's what, that's what happens when you depart from your notes. <laughs> Maybe I'll stick to them. <laughs> you get the message. <laughs> does it, does it, when I get to this this afternoon, I'm going to be like, oh, no, where do I go now? Um, we have an equal dignity, equal respect. There's harmony about us that was made. And, and we see this all the way through the Bible. The Bible talks about an equality between male and female. We see in the New Testament, in Galatians um, chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, Paul says um, in verse 26, Galatians 3:26, Paul says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Obviously, he's not saying you are no longer a male or a female. You've sort of merged into some sort of, you know, cross between the two. Of course, there's a male and a female. But what he's saying is there's no difference. There's equality there. We see it in, in, term, in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 as well, where Paul talks about us being a body, and he, he, he talks about there's no part of the body that's more important than others. Every part of the body's got different roles to play, different parts to play, but there's a, there's a unity there. We're all equal, all equally important. So males and females are created to be equal in God. Adam and Eve were created to work together in perfect union with each other, and in perfect relationship with God. That all went wrong when they ate the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden, and then the consequences came. So what was the consequence of eating the fruit in terms of relationship between male and female? We see it in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, um, where he speaks to the woman. Uh, where God speaks to the woman. So Genesis 3.16, God says, to the woman he says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. We'll not focus too much on that today. Um, And then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So this is the consequence of sin coming into the world. All right? this, is the con- this is not what God intended. The consequence of sin coming into the world. Your desire to the woman will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, well what does that mean? Because it's not that clear. It, you can interpret that in a number of different ways, I guess. You know, does it mean your desire will be for your husband? Does that mean that women will be like, oh, Oh, my husband, I, I love you. I, 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 you know, please do, you know, let me do things for you. Let me, um, let me, let me, let me serve you in any way I can. And, uh, you know, and the husband's standing there. I'm going to rule over you. Go away, woman. Go back into the kitchen. Um, uh, you know, is it that kind of desire and ruling over? I, I, I'm not sure it is. In fact, I'm fairly certain it's not. Um, <laughs> but, but some would look at this passage, this verse, and say, well, this is where we see the differences in, in roles of male and female coming about. They say, you, put up, you know, at this point, God is saying, 
um, oh, the husband is going to rule over the wife, and, and the wife's desire will be for her husband, whatever that means. Um, but, you know, this is where the ruling comes over. And so this idea of, of, of male headship or male leadership or, you know, that, that's coming about as a result of the fall, as a, a result of sin. Therefore, we shouldn't focus on that. We need to get back to what, God, what it was like before, which was equality. I would say that's a, that's a misrepresentation in a number of ways of what the Bible is saying, and, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, it can be helpful to understand what this verse means by looking at a very similar verse in, um, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, I don't know if you're able to pull the ESV up, um, Steve, or not. It doesn't matter if you're not. Um, in this, in this verse, in, this, in the NIV, which many of us will be reading, um, Genesis 4 and verse 7, this is Cain and Abel, and the Lord's speaking to Cain, and in the NIV it says, um, if you do what's right, you, will you not be accepted? If you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. In the ESV, it's a little bit um, more helpful. It says here, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Just keep that up there for a, a second, Steve. Um, its desire, sin, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's very, very similar to this Genesis 3.16, which is your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, so what's it saying here in, in, four, in Genesis 4.7? Sin. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin wants to defeat us. Its desire is for you. In other words, sin is trying to dominate you. Sin is trying to defeat you. Sin is trying to subdue you. Sin is trying to make you its slave. Sin is trying to make you its slave. But he's saying, but you, Cain, Cain, you must dominate it and rule over sin. You must crush sin. You must totally defeat it. So you see the strength there. It's, it's sin is wanting to dominate you, but you... Cain must dominate and defeat sin. You mustn't let it get hold of you. You mustn't let it dominate you. You mustn't let it defeat you. You must put, you must crush that. And so there's very strong. So when we come back, thanks for that. When we come back to seeing this in Genesis 3 and verse um, 16, we get a different understanding. The woman's, the Eve's desire will be for her husband. In other words, when sin has got the upper hand, her desire will be to dominate and subdue her husband. When sin gets the upper hand in her, she will want to rule over her husband. Her desire will be for her husband. It will put him down when sin gets the upper hand. But when sin has the upper hand in a man, his desire will be to rule over, to dominate and to crush the woman. So you've, we've gone a long way here from this equality, this working together in harmony, now there's competitiveness come in. Now there's this desire to, to, to put the other one down, to get the upper hand, to belittle them. It can be done in a number of ways. It can be done through words. It can be done physically. We see it played out in different ways in, in marriages. 
um, and in relationships together. And maybe it happens with males and females and, and men and women, husbands and wives, in different ways. So we see very uh, dominant wives who kind of rule the roost, that's it, they're in charge of everything, and very passive husbands, very passive husbands who are maybe beaten down, just want a quiet life, oh, she's the boss. You know, they never take any moral lead or initiative. Um, so that's the, the woman, who's, who, the wife, who is who's trying to dominate and subdue the husband, and the husband becomes passive, he becomes a doormat. We see it the other way around. We see other relationships where the men are trying to dominate and subdue the woman. They might do that through their strength or their power or through fear of that. Sometimes it can be the same two people playing out those things. So you get a, you get a woman and the, uh, who, who's being very strong and trying to dominate her husband, maybe through what she says or putting him down, little put-downs and digs and things like that. And the man's kind of passive. But inside, he's, there's things going on. And then he uh, loses it and then he, he, he gets violent. And it comes out that way. It'll come out in different ways, but it's a, it's a conflict. It's bringing conflict into male-female relationships, husbands and wives. You know, it's important that we, that we look at some of these issues. We, it's, it's good that we talk about some of this in, and, and to everyone because it's not just actually about husbands and wives. You know, I intended to say this, this early on and just, just so that people didn't think, oh, well, this, is, this isn't relevant to me. It's relevant to all of us. It's relevant to all of us because we are living out our roles as a, a, a man or a woman in society. It's relevant to us if we're married, as to how it affects our marriage. It's relevant to us if we're not married, but, but, but hope to be married at some point, because it will affect our relationships there. It's, it's relevant to us if we're children, because it's good to know what, what God created men and women to be like, so that they can grow up to be godly men and women. It's relevant to everyone. And we see it played out in society you know, men who will rape or physically abuse women, women putting men down and using uh, their words uh, or, or sexual manipulation through lust or anything, but it, it's lost this, this harmony. Now, if, if this is what this verse means, that it's not about roles and relationships, but it's about how sin can affect and, and mess up these relationships, then if it's about this desire to dominate the other one, then you would expect there to be verses in the New Testament where the, where the writer is encouraging women in Christ not to rebel against their husband's authority and subdue him, and would encourage men in Christ not to use their authority harshly that they've got. And that's exactly what we do have. So there's a number of passages. Let's look at Colossians, which uh, Dan preached on the other week, the other month. Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Don't, don't try and dominate them. Don't try and rule over them. Submit to them as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Don't try and dominate them. Don't try and use force to rule over them. It's that that is a result of sin coming into the world. Okay? Now, why would Paul expect wives to submit to their husbands um, in this way 
if, if, this, if this only came about because of sin. If, if, if husbands leading wives and wives submitting to husbands, if that only came about because of sin, which is what some people argue, then why would Paul encourage those things? Because he's, he's backing it up, isn't he? He would, he's not. If he did, he, you'd find him saying other things as well. You'd, you, you don't find Paul saying, make every effort to make childbirth as painful as possible. Because that, that's another result of sin. So let's, let's just go with that. Oh, oh, um, oh, if, you are, if you've got a garden, encourage thorns to grow up in your garden. He doesn't say that. Or stay alienated from God and cut off from him. No. Paul's encouraging people to go back to how things should be before the fall, before sin came into the world. And that's what he's doing here. It was always part of God's plan and order in the world for there to be different roles in a relationship. So you've got an equality there, but different roles. And and it's a huge issue in society these days, isn't it? No one really knows what being a man or a woman is meant to be like. There's so many people will say, oh, men shouldn't be like this, or women shouldn't be like this. But very few people saying this is, this is what is a good way to be. And there's such confusion. And that confusion brings with it violent crime, and it brings with it suicide, and homosexuality, and divorce. Because there's only God can teach us what men and women should be like in their relationships together whether it's husbands and wives or just generally relating together. Equality is only part of the answer because being equal doesn't mean we do the same thing. All right? We, we get the idea in secular society of what we do or what we have, that, that tells us how important we are. And so if we have got a well-paid job, then that makes us more important than someone who's got a poorly paid job. And so there's no equality there in our minds, in society, because what, how much we earn affects it. What size house we've got affects it. Um, whether, what, you know, what car we've got um, affects it. And we're back to the whole top trumps thing again, where we decide how important we are depending on the things that are going on. The Bible teaches us that men and women are equal, but they have complementary but different roles. I guess in the same way as when you get a choir. If you get a choir, there's, there's, there's at least four parts to a choir. There's soprano, there's alto, there's tenor, and there's bass. And they've all got a different roles. And they all sing different parts. But the music that they make is so much more beautiful than if everyone just sang exactly the same. You get it a little bit, don't you, on a, on a, on a Sunday morning when you get the two singers. They'll often sing in harmony together. They'll not be singing exactly the same, but it sounds so much better than if, if you're singing exactly the same thing. And that's the same with males and females. There's different roles, but they complement each other. They work together. There's an equality, but yet there are differences that can come together. And so the last, the last thing we want to do here is just look at what we can learn uh, about this from early chapters of Genesis. We'll start applying some of this next time. But in Genesis 2, we see that God creates Adam and, uh, and gives him the responsibility of taking the care of the garden. And he tells him not to eat um, the fruit of the tree. And, um, 
Then in Genesis, that's in Genesis 2.7. In Genesis 2.18, we see that God creates Eve as a helper to Adam. So Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, she, notice she's not a servant. She's not Adam's servant. A helper is something very different. A helper is someone who comes alongside and, and they work together at something. And so um, you get... You even get God being described as a helper at some points. God, in, Genesis, in Psalm 118 and verse 7, David's writing this psalm, and uh, he says, The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. So God is David's helper. That doesn't mean David's more important than God. Of course he's not. But... God is helping David in what he has got responsibility for there. And so Eve is helping Adam in what he has been given responsibility for. What's that? To look after the garden um, and to, and to ca- take care of it. She's, she's got a role to play, but it doesn't make her less important. And men, I would say biblically, are given the responsibility of leadership. Okay, how do we see this? Well... We see that Adam was created first. God could have made both Adam and Eve together. He could have, he could have said, I'm going to create uh, male and female uh, together, man. Here we are, Adam and Eve together, male and female, and here is the commission. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Look after the garden. He didn't do that. He didn't create them at exactly the same time. He created Adam first. He gave Adam the task to do, the job to do. He told Adam, don't eat from the tree. It was Adam's responsibility. When Eve was created, there's no evidence that God then repeated that to Eve. It was Adam's job to tell Eve and to, and to work it out together. So Adam was created first. What God intended was for sinless man, full of love, in his tender, strong, moral leadership, uh, to, to live in relationship with women, uh, woman. And sinless woman, full of love, in her Joyful, responsive support for man's leadership. So no belittling, no groveling from the woman, no belittling from the man. Two intelligent, humble, God-focused and God-centered beings living out in harmony their unique and different responsibilities. So man was given leadership responsibility and was given moral responsibility. You shouldn't eat from the tree. He was given the responsibility. We can see that even later on. God, when he's asking what's happened when they've eaten the fruit, asks Adam in Genesis 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I hid because I was naked. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He asks Adam and not Eve because Adam is primarily accountable. He's mainly responsible for that. That doesn't mean women can do what they want. It doesn't mean she's not accountable at all. Of course she is. And there were consequences for Eve. She gets the pain in childbirth scenario. But in their relationship with each other, we see that the main primary responsibility lies with the man. God's really saying to Adam, have you been the moral and spiritual leader that you ought to have been in this. 
And many men abdicate these responsibilities. Many men abdicate, as Adam did, the responsibility to be the moral and spiritual leader. Many Christian men do this. And many Christian women would love their men to take up those responsibilities. What responsibilities might they be? Well, we'll look in detail another time, but here's a few. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Giving yourself up for her. That's what Paul talks about. Men, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Giving yourself up for her. Spiritual leadership in the home, which includes bringing up children to know and love God, is a man's role and primary responsibility. Women will be involved, wives will be involved, but it's mainly the responsibility, it is the responsibility of a man. Leadership in the home is a man's role and responsibility, which includes disciplining children. Okay, it's not just the wife's job to discipline children. Husbands should be very much involved. There's, there's many others as well. But it's not, like I said, it's not all about married people. Single people, it has implications as well. So I would say, if you're single, the initiative should really be with the man to find a wife. That might be a bit controversial, but I would say that's an outworking of what this says. The initi- if you're single, the... It's your responsibility. Don't be lazy and passive when it comes to finding a wife. Don't wait for the women to... There's so many godly women, who, you know, even in this church, who are single. And there's, one, and there's a few men who, who are godly. But... <laughs> Let me stick to these notes. I didn't quite mean it like that. (laughs) But take initiative, men. Take initiative. (laughs) Don't be lazy and passive. You know, Satan knows what God's order is. We might be confused about it, and and the world's confused about it. It's not surprising confusion has come into the church. There's much confusion about this whole issue. And that's why, and that's why it, it will need more than this week. But Satan knows what God's, God intended. Satan knows what God's order is. And Satan loves to destroy it. And he's destroying it today. He looks around society today and he loves, he loves the confusion that we're in about, about roles and responsibilities and male and female and all of that. He's destroying it today in the same way that he destroyed it back in the garden. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals that the Lord God had made. So what was crafty about what the serpent did? What was crafty about what the enemy did? The craftiness was to address his questioning of God. Did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? He addressed it to the woman. He addressed it to Eve. Why did he do that? Was it because she was more gullible than Adam? Was it because she was weaker? No. None of that. It was because he was trying to make her the spokesperson, the moral guardian for the couple. He knew that God had given Adam responsibility, but he was try- the, the enemy was trying to put it on her. 
He was trying to make her the one who says, which is just what she shouldn't have done. He wants to make Adam into a silent, withdrawn, fearful, weak, passive wimp. And he succeeds. He succeeds. Often when we read this passage, we can, we can kind of imagine the scene, and we, we see the serpent talking to Eve, and we think, oh, Adam's off the scene somewhere. Maybe Adam's doing some work in the garden. Maybe Adam's just, just doing some digging somewhere or something like that. And, and this conversation goes on with Eve, and Eve eats of the apple, and then Adam comes, and he goes, what have you done? And then Eve's going, oh, no, it's really nice, and she tempts him. That's not what it says. That's not what happens. Look carefully at what the passage says in verse 6 of Genesis 3. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desiring for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He was with her. He was there when this whole thing was going along. He'd been there all along. The serpent talks to Eve and asks her this question and he's trying to make her take the lead and he's trying to make her be the moral guardian and he doesn't come and say, hang on, hang on a minute. This is what was said. This, he doesn't take, take his, his responsibility seriously. He doesn't uh, speak up. He is silent. He says not a word. And Eve is tempted and eats of the fruit, and then he takes it. The serpent, has, the enemy, has turned around the God-given roles. And God doesn't just reprimand the man for eating the fruit. In verse 17, he doesn't just say, you ate the fruit, therefore this is the consequence. He reprimands Adam for forsaking his responsibility to be the moral leader in that relationship. He says, verse 17, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree. Because you listened to your wife and because you ate from the tree. That doesn't mean men should never listen to their wives. (laughs) Of course men should listen to their wives. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But he's saying, you, you you took a lead from her. She led you into this. You're supposed to be the leader. And Satan still does the same thing today. Satan tells and looks at society and there's violent and aggressive men and Satan says, you need to be more passive, you know. You need to be a bit more passive. Don't be so aggressive. Don't be so manly. And it looks at downtrodden women and it says, come on, you need to be more assertive with men. And there's just this subversion all the time. Now, Satan's clever. Satan's clever. There's always elements of truth. So, of course, of course men shouldn't be violent and domineering. That's what we've seen. Of course women shouldn't just remain downtrodden. Of course not. But lies can get in and things can get messed up and mixed up and Satan is just laughing because society is drowning in these issues. Now, next time we will look more at what these relationships and roles of men and women should be. Because we've only just touched on them this morning. But, but what I want, what I hope I've communicated today, because we need to have this in mind, and we need to accept this, if we're going to go on and look at anything else. Otherwise, it's just going to be 
annoying to us. We're just going to be like reacting. We need to come to a point of saying we're in a mess as a society. What our views, which we might have taken from society, what our views of men and women should be, is not what God intended them to be. Many of us have got confused on this. I, I know that when I first became a Christian and when, I got, when me and Debbie got married, we were very confused about all this. Very confused. And it, and it was a mess. Because we're trying to work out a marriage and it was like, this just isn't working. It's not working. And you try and respond, go from one extreme to the other, oh, I'll be passive, no, I'll be domineering, no. Didn't work. It didn't work. We need to come to a point of saying, God, what is your plan? What is your plan, God? And we need to be open to hearing from God. It's not an option, really. It's not an option just to say, well, it's our marriage. We'll work it out how we see fit. You know? I, I, we've had a discussion about this together. And we'll just, we'll just work it out together. And, and what's right for us might be different to what's right for other people. That's fine. But this is so important that we understand what God wants for us. What God wants for our relationships. What God is telling us about where we should be. And for those of us, like I said, who aren't married, before we're married, let's get clear on this. Let's get some clarity so we can go into marriage right from the start um, with a good understanding. So in this key area of life, I would say, are we committed to rejecting what our culture and our society would tell us about men and women? And that's just going to change over time. Culture and society, secular society, it's not going to help us in this. Or are we committed to discovering what God wants for us? Not just having a viewpoint and looking for, well, can I find somewhere in the Bible that will back up my viewpoint? No. Let's come with a clear and open mind and seek God, our Creator. Because God knows that He wants to bring us great blessing in this area. Great blessing in our relationships together. Great blessing in our marriages. So much that He wants. He wants to redeem the created order. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage that we find ourselves in. Society is in bondage in many areas, but this area just as much as others. But Jesus has come to set us free and will redeem us and set us free from all of this. And as, as, as those who are children of God, our chains are off. We can walk free into all that God created us and meant us to be together.